Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Hello, everyone. We'd like to thank you for joining us for helping military kids cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Happy Garner, and I am a Master Parent Educator with the Military Child Education Coalition Parent-to-Parent Webinar Team. We have a special guest with us today, Dr. Stephen Koza. He is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, currently serving as Associate Director of the Center for Traumatic Stress Child and Family Programs. He's a professor of psychiatry at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Services, and we are so glad to have him as co-chair of the MSEC Science Advisory Board. So Dr. Koza, thank you for being with us today and we will turn it over to you. Happy, thank you very much for that kind introduction. It is really a pleasure for me to be here today to be once again speaking with uh, members of the MSEC community. It's challenging that I'm uh, speaking around this very difficult topic at this point, but our goal today is to really best understand how we can help military kids cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. So I should start by providing a disclaimer that what I am presenting today is my own and it doesn't necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University or the Department of Defense. We are all being affected. All of us certainly across the country and certainly across the world is are being affected, not only by the threat of the virus, but also about how we are needing to respond to it to ensure that we don't support its contagion. So our goal is to be thinking, how do we sustain ourselves through this experience, both as adults and then as adults, whether in the capacity of parents or educators or other child service providers, can sustain our children as well. First, I'd like to define disaster mental health to the audience so it can better help us understand the effects of COVID-19. I'd like to review the psychological and behavioral effects of disasters, underline the unique challenges of pandemic, describe how COVID-19 is affecting families and children, and then emphasize how we can best help by emphasizing safety, calming, self-efficacy, connectedness, and hope in supporting our children. So what I'd like to do is to tell you a little bit about our Center for the Study of Traumatic Stress at the Uniform Services University. Some of you may be familiar with it. The Uniform Services University is our federal medical school. It sits on the grounds of Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, right across from the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. The center has been in existence for over 30 years within the Department of Psychiatry at Uniform Services University under the direction and leadership of Dr. Robert 
Porter Sano, who's internationally known for his work in trauma, disaster, and post-traumatic stress disorder. And the center is a science center that focuses on both the, the development of and the dissemination of knowledge, whether that is through research, whether that is through public or professional education, writing of scientific manuscripts, or providing uh, fact sheets for members of the community. And our website, which uh, should also be among the resources that are available to you, we've done quite a bit of work as it relates to military families, both in terms of understanding their strengths as well as uh, the stresses that are associated with military life. And uh, we've worked collaboratively with other partners like Sesame Workshop as advisors in developing products for military families. Thinking of disasters and the, and the science of disaster mental health, it's really important to understand the pandemic is one of many types of disasters. It falls into the category that we would refer to as natural dis disasters that include things like uh, hurricanes, earthquakes, wildfires. And in compared to human-generated disasters, whether they are uh, due to, to terrorism, mass violence, or other kinds of technological disasters. So as we think about it, it, it can be helpful because it helps us understand what the impact of disasters are on communities and all people, whether adults or children. One of the challenges of pandemic is that unlike many other disasters that tend to be time limited, and although all disasters have cascading effects, for example, after an earthquake, there may be power outages or there may be residential relocations that are required, pandemic is an evolving disaster. So one of the greatest challenges is the uncertainty associated with COVID-19, where we're at now, where is it going to be going? And because of that, and because of not knowing, having some ability to, I think, predict, but not completely understand where we're going, that creates greater uncertainty and, and creates greater challenge in, in both the community and individuals, as well as understanding how to best address it. So when we think about the psychological and behavioral responses to disaster, one thing that's really important to remember, we tend to focus on psychiatric disorders like depression, PTSD, anxiety, or prolonged grief disorder. And those, in fact, can occur, but, but really it's, those occur within a minority of people. What is equally important and maybe more important to remember is that there are other kinds of emotional and behavioral responses that can impact our well-being. One of those being risk behavior. So as the pandemic is present, we need to be thinking about managing our alcohol and tobacco use, the use of, of both prescribed and unprescribed medications, being careful about intrafamilial violence or interpersonal violence, or becoming isolated from others within the community. Those are all risk behaviors that can worsen outcomes. What are much more common are what we refer to as distress reactions. So that may be changes in sleep, decreased sense of safety, physical or somatic symptoms, irritability and distraction. And I think most of us can recognize that over the past two months, um, there have been times when we've been affected by these types of reactions just because of the stress associated with COVID-19 and, and our requirements to stay at home for a large period of time. But these distress reactions are really situational and unlike psychiatric disorders, typically resolve after the threat is gone. 
But what is most important to remember is that resilience is the most likely outcome of any disaster. And even those who are having temporary difficulties, whether it's emotionally or behaviorally, are likely to recover over time. So why is it that pandemics tend to be more challenging? Well, as I had mentioned, pandemics create fear and uncertainty. And there's an altered perception of risk. So if we were to imagine six months ago being in the positions we're at now, being worried about our potential health or questioning where we're going in the next year and whether our kids are going to go back to school, all of those provide an altered sense of what's happening, uh, what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to us financially, all the kinds of concerns that are on everybody's mind. A pandemic is novel, unfamiliar, and mysterious, and it's an invisible agent. So it can have a powerful effect, almost as though there's a presence of evil within the community. Um, we're required, in order to mitigate the effects, isolation, and when people get ill, quarantine. And because of some of these effects, it's led to shortages and scarcity of resources, more for some communities than others. What we do need to make sure that we're careful of is getting information from the right sources, like places like the CDC or the World Health Organization or through the DOD, um, but also there's a lot of misinformation out there. So we have to be careful about what we ingest because it can increase our fear and anger or it can lead to scapegoating or blaming within the community that can actually disconnect us from each other and create disparities or create lack of cohesion within our community, all at a time where we really need each other. So these are the sorts of things that have occurred for families. We've uh, Some have had to quarantine uh, due to COVID-19. We've seen uh, empty grocery shelves and certainly empty uh, meat uh, aisles at the, at the, at the um, supermarkets. We've had to focus on, uh, uh, on protection hand washing, wearing masks. Uh, for those who've been working in healthcare facilities, there's been greater risk, uh, but also for those who, of us who've had family members who've affected, uh, that there are the treatment issues associated with it. But COVID-19 has also allowed for a certain level of family togetherness. And I know probably something that's on everybody's mind today, especially when it comes to kids, whether, it whether it's uh, dealing with the virtual solutions to pandemic like uh, distance learning or increased use of uh, electronics and online video gaming, uh, that that's all part of what families are, are facing. We see a highly contagious virus that's requiring family physical isolation. You'll notice that I didn't use uh, the term social distancing. I think we need to be thinking of physical distancing, but we want to maintain that social connectedness. It's very important. Some families are likely to be more highly impacted. I've mentioned healthcare workers, but also families with special needs, pre-existing health or mental health problems undocumented families or families where there's unemployment are likely to have greater impact. This is creating uncertainty and distress within all families to some degree. And the effects of mitigation related to physical distancing have resulted in schools and colleges closing, daycare closing, changes in family structure and schedules, possible loss of employment and livelihood, and lack of access to required resources. Again, all of which can add to further distress to families. Homebound families particularly, so these, these school and workplace closures have led to unexpected changes 
in family structure and schedule. So we've got more people staying at home now, and that can lead to what can be positively referred to as increased family together time. But depending upon your family resources, the size of your house, the number of bedrooms or bathrooms, that can really vary from family to family. We need to be very aware of the fact that family conflict is something that is possible in circumstances when families are under stress. And in fact, there have been several reports within the lay press uh, raising concerns about partner violence, you know, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Um, this can be particularly true when families have been staying home together where there was prior history of some conflict within the family. And that also less opportunity to identify if children are, uh, in, for whatever reason, being maltreated because they're not attending school, they're not going to childcare, and those are places where, where usually those effects are occurring. So family conflict can be mild, but it also can be more serious, and we need to be aware of that and think about ways of preventing. In addition, because of being homebound, there's increased teleworking. So, and teleworking can result in difficulty maintaining work and home life boundaries. So if I'm in a spare bedroom, which I am right now working, and I'm just walking downstairs to my kitchen in order to grab a sandwich, the boundary between working and living, between home life and work life, between when I go to bed or stop working, uh, I think that changes for all of us and we need to be very careful about that. So let's Let's talk specifically about military children and families. So the one thing I always want to emphasize is that military families have inherent strengths and resources that are important for us to remember. First, there's a sense of community pride, unity of purpose, and military families are mission-driven. In addition, many military families have faced adversity in the past, done it successfully, and because of that, I think bring greater capacity to the, to the challenge that, that COVID is facing. At least for the service member, there's ongoing employment, access to health care, support for housing, and then other DOD and community and family support services. But there are other challenges that military families face. For example, requirements for continued readiness. So although most American families are attempting to continue to work, military families and military service members particularly need to be ready to respond to national defense requirements. We also know that the National Guard has been activated to assist with COVID response. And for Guard families, they're being faced not only with managing COVID in their homes, but also in the absence of the service member parent. There have been 20 years of military combat service time. And so although there are some strengths that are associated with those experiences, military families have had many deployments, absences, and have had uh, prior experiences of delays and celebrations. So dealing with COVID now, especially during during time of, of, of graduation or misgraduations or questions about whether children are be going to be headed to college in the fall, all can feel like additional burdens that have come with military life. And there can be vulnerabilities in military families that are shared with all uh, American families. For example, finances, loss of jobs of military spouses, access to basics like, like healthcare, increased concerns about food insecurity. Even within the military communities, that's become a critical issue that we need to be aware of, as well as the lack of other necessities in family life. 
So as we think about then, what do we do? How do we best help families? How do we best help children in the face of some of this uncertainty, the challenges and the adversity associated with COVID-19? And what I'd like to introduce you all to is this concept of psychological first aid. Some of you may have heard of it previously, but it's an evidence-based approach to thinking about the ways of helping communities that are under stress. And there are five basic elements that I'm gonna talk about in greater detail. One is safety, the other is calming, self or community efficacy, or this ability to feel like you have some control or mastery over your life. This is true whether we're adults or children. Connectedness, and that can be within families, across communities, with extended family, and with friends, and this idea of sustaining hope and optimism. So promoting safety. First and foremost, despite any progress that we're making, the main thing we need to be thinking about with safety has to do with prevention, 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 hand washing, physical distancing, and use of masks when indicated. All has been, has been recommended by the CDC, and that is an important way of maintaining safety for ourselves, for our families, for our children, and for the community. In addition, it's very important to ensure that we utilize trusted sources of information. The CDC is a main source of national information that we should all turn to. When we have questions about things that we're reading in the media, they are the organization that really speaks to how best to address public health crisis within the United States, as well as the World Health Organization uh, more globally. Teach your children the importance of prevention. So whether that has to do with hand washing, whether that has to do with protecting vulnerable populations, and certainly helping them understand the reasons why we're doing this, all of this. Limit your media exposure. It's absolutely true that media enhances the transmission of timely and accurate information, but it also can enhance transmission of fear and distress. So if you're on and watching CNN 24-7 or any of the news stations, you're likely to be bombarded with information about COVID-19 and hearing new worries and new concerns that come up. It's not a good thing. It doesn't promote safety and it certainly doesn't promote calm. And then if you're on social media, you're gonna read all sorts of things that people are proposing both about the virus, who's responsible, what should be done and shouldn't be done, under uh, questioning and undermining the motivations of leaders. And we need to avoid misinformation in order to, to make sure that we're not contributing to misinformation both in our families and community. And then this idea of reducing interpersonal conflict. So there are times when being together so much can create hotspots. We need to understand what those are and be prepared for them. We need to take breaks. Although there's a lot of together time, we also need to respect individual time. Everybody needs some time on their own, whether it's children or adults, in order to separate and cool off and calm and then come back together as family. Developing problem solving and conflict resolution skills. And there are many ways of doing that. We have some fact sheets on our website that are available and that you can access through that website. But the idea of how do we, if there, we do have an argument, how do we address it? And then finally, it's always important if things really get serious to seek professional help before there's an escalation and an event takes place that everybody feels badly about. Second element, stay calm. Most important thing to remember about in dealing with children, when adults feel calm and clear, it's easier to be calm and clear with our children, and it helps our kids feel calmer and clearer.
communicate effectively with children. Children have eyes and ears that they're hearing about these things. We need to use developmentally appropriate language to help them understand what it is that they're hearing or that they're seeing. And we don't want to hide things from them that they need to know, but at the same time, we don't want to introduce a lot of information that they don't necessarily need to know. And then reassure children that there are, despite all of the uh, concerns about this virus and its effects, that there are many, many, many people out there, professionals, government leaders, scientists, healthcare providers, all working their hardest in order to solve this problem so that we'll get past it in the future. Make sure that you take time for healthy eating and exercise, including outdoor time for your family. Support family structure, so maintaining routines and rituals can be very important. For many children, particularly teenagers, this has really been difficult in terms of sleep schedules. Kids wind up staying up much later because they may be playing online video games with their friends. It's understandable that they want to be socializing, but we really may want to make sure that we don't disrupt healthy routines in ways that are going to undermine health. Add scheduled activities for children, but make sure you include recreational time. So although I know that all parents are taking on additional responsibilities for education, we want to make sure that parents realize that kids need fun time too, play time. It doesn't need entirely to be at, uh, about work. And then if you do have college children coming home, I think the one thing to remember is that, you know, this is was unexpected and that uh, you were not expecting your college child to be home. They've had their own lives and have been independent, but now coming back into your homes, you need to renegotiate what the rules are and what the expectations are about having young adults back in the house. And then most importantly, as parents, remember that good enough is, in fact, good enough. This is not about getting anything perfectly. There are a lot of tasks that parents are taking on. So what we want parents to do is to do your best and forget the rest. Make sure that you do what needs to get done, but it doesn't have to be perfect. There are some great resources available. I want to point, for especially for those with younger children, to Sesame Workshop that's put out a variety of materials. And the third element of promoting health and well-being is encouraging self-efficacy. So uncertainty can undermine a sense of purpose and capacity. Like, what do I have control over? What can I do? We need to remind both adults and children there are things we can do to feel like we're in charge during this. So giving kids opportunities for mastery. Give them an opportunity to help prepare dinner, to make something, to help you bake something, to help clean up. Encourage chores being good citizens at home and giving them recognition for that work all can build a sense of capacity and pride in kids that despite all of this staying at home and feeling like we can't do anything, there are good things that we can do. And don't forget family and community teamwork, being able to give back to the community or extended family where it, when it's important. I also want to focus on this idea of helping with losses. So, you know, there have been a lot of disappointments associated with COVID-19, uh, especially for those in transition periods. So, but not just for those. So, you know, we talk about extended or, or, or distant, distant learning or virtual learning, but even if we're doing that incredibly well, it doesn't account for extracurricular activities. It doesn't account for the opportunity to participate in sports. If you were a senior in high school and were going to be involved in your, your final year as a senior member of a sports team and now you're not going to be able to do that or you are really looking forward to graduation or a special vacation. Those are all disappointments. So we need to help 
uh, our families manage that. And by either redefining and, and recognizing, first of all, I think we, we can't sugarcoat it. We need to recognize that this, this is a disappointment. It is hard to manage, but we also need to figure out creative ways of, of postponing those celebrations or thinking about ways we may be able to do it differently. One way I've seen a lot of creativity is in this fourth element of health, which is connecting. So be creative with connecting. But we're seeing people that are celebrating birthdays in special ways. We're seeing weddings celebrated in special ways. The Air Force Academy did a distance graduation. And again, I know there may be concern on the part of parents with kids doing a whole lot of online time. Usually I would not be a proponent of online, but I think giving kids some online experience so that they can socialize with their friends right now is probably the right time to be doing more of that. Another resource to share, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network that provides lots of information for children who are affected by adversity or trauma, and they have great resources related to COVID-19. Our last element is remaining hopeful. So a reminder to all of us that this pandemic will end, even if it doesn't feel like it will now, that whether it's three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, it may take time, but we will get past this and, and we will grow from that experience. Most adults and children will do well. Military families can be strengthened by previous adversity and call on that experience and that strength, especially at a time right now where you're dealing with these challenges. Look for, recognize, and amplify kindness and generosity and help children as well as adults in our families to see themselves not just as who they are, but also who they can be. So giving a sense of future perspective, where things are going, and that there will be opportunities in the future that are important for all of us. Thank you very much, and I look forward to the discussion. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.